Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Full Time Whistle podcast. The guest for this episode is none other than the winner of Football's Next Star, Ben Greenhow. Ben shares some brilliant stories from his time on the show as he was chosen from 7,000 young aspiring footballers as the winner of Football's Next Star, which landed him a contract with Italian giants Inter Milan. Ben talks about body doubling and adverts for the famous Cristiano Ronaldo before the show and gives great insight into the competition he won. Living in a luxury villa on Lake Como with nine other lads and rubbing shoulders with the likes of Jose Mourinho and Patrick Vieira as Inter won the Serie A, Coppa Italia and Champions League. Ben also discusses adapting to the lifestyle and culture as he lived on the training campus, learning Italian, handling the publicity that came with winning the show and returning home after leaving Inter. He then goes on to discuss the rest of his career, still playing at a very decent standard of 5th and 6th tier football in England, and moving up to Scotland, where he spent a year at Inverness under Terry Butcher and John Hughes, and a loan spell at Stenhouse Muir, which made him respect Scottish football a lot more. Ben goes on to mention the present as well, as a very passionate coach who's looking to get into management in the future when he hangs up his boots. But that's enough from me, I hope you enjoy. Ben, thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you doing? How are things at the moment with you? Yeah, they're going well. They're going well. Um, it's been good to have the time off because we've just had a we've had a baby three months ago. So in in some ways, it's, I probably wouldn't have seen as much of him um, as I would have done with with the football season going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been good, and also um, managing to get back out there coaching again now. So keeping myself active. What well, what is happening at the moment with you football wise? You you're still planning things, aren't you? Still playing, yeah. Um, not 100% signed a new for next season, but I finished last season at uh, Tunbridge Angels in the Conference South. Um, and I'd been at Dartford for quite a while before that. But yeah, I mean, there's still, for me, it's it's still keep playing, uh, keep training and playing. Um, and then at the same time, I've got all my coaching stuff on the side as well. So it's, it's very much football everything. Bit of golf as well, is that right? Yeah, a little bit of golf, a little bit of golf in the meantime, whenever I get the opportunity to go and play. Um, took it a bit more seriously a few years ago. Uh, I think it was ever since I came back from Scotland. Uh, Scotland made me a, a bit of a better golfer. Um, and I came back down here and got my handicap really down. And I still do it as, as enjoyment stuff. I don't take it as seriously as I probably should do. But that's just because football takes up all my time. So um, I'm going to take you back, if that's all right, um, just to start. Yeah. So, so I want to speak about your, your early memories of football. Um, mm-hmm. So what, what are your sort of first memories in terms of growing up? Did you support a team, go and watch your sort of footballing heroes and things? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always, everything was always football. Um, it's quite funny because I'm, I'm not a loyal supporter because when I, was, uh, when I was young, I saw Alan Shearer lift the trophy for Blackburn. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what made me like Alan Shearer. I was I was only four years old at the time, I think. Um, he went to Newcastle, so I suddenly became a Newcastle fan. Um, but I realised as it was going on, and especially after Shearer left, I was pretty much just an Alan Shearer fan. Um, so I supported Newcastle until I was about 12 or 13, um, and then sort of looked towards another player, and that was Ronaldo at the time, and he'd just come into Man United. Um, so I started following Ronaldo a little bit, um, and like yeah, like I said, I never really supported a team uh, as such. I was always following players and always trying to take on what players were doing, and and really just watching that player. And um, as I got older, uh, I realised I had to actually support a team, and because I was supporting Man United at the time, Ronaldo. Ever since I've been quite a serious Man United fan, but um, yeah, I think all my memories were watching players and and really 
taking two players rather than sort of supporting and following certain teams. Uh, it was always following certain players, ones that might be a bit similar to you, try and take on their characteristics. And and that's one thing. I, I think when, when we were younger, it was always like Beckham, Zidane. They were the sort of players that I was, I was trying to watch as well because I was never going to be a Shearer. I was never going to be a big centre-forward scoring all those goals. But I really liked... Uh, I really like the way that he played. I really like the way that he, he led everything for Newcastle. So he was, he was a good sort of uh, hero to have in some ways and it's someone that I inspired to and it definitely got me into football. In terms of playing and things, how, how did you get into that? What what are your sort of early memories? Were you at an academy or anything like that growing up? Uh, not as such. No, I was... Um, I mean, my, my dad's very sporty. My family's really sporty. So it wasn't, like we said, with golf earlier. It's not just football. We, we were doing every sport. Uh, but football was the one thing that I really just wanted to keep doing. I'd always be in the garden having a kick about. Um, and I had a lot of moments throughout when I was younger where it was like a scout had said something to you, a scout wanted you. And it's funny because now where I'm on the other side of the game as well, where I'm coaching and, and sort of helping scouts come in and, and advising certain scouts, you, you know how cutthroat it really is. Yeah. And how much, even if I'm to go and tell one of the parents now that I'm coaching that he's got this person watching them, so many different things can happen along the way to, to stop that happening. So um, I just always enjoyed my football. I always enjoyed it and just played as, as well as I could every week. And then I think really when I got a little bit older, when I got to about 15, 16, that's when I really just out of nowhere, I, I kicked it up a gear. I think I got a lot fitter. Um, I grew a lot more, became a bit bigger. And, and, and I think just suddenly got a bit more noticed that way. So but before we come on to football's next star, obviously, um, I'm sure I saw somewhere that you you were like a a double for somebody, um, like like a sort of model type thing for, for footballers. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I do a bit of coaching for um, Mike Delaney in the local area, and he's got he's got a business called Skills Academy, and it's it's a really good coaching business. And I I used to coach a lot for them uh, about ten years ago, mm-hmm. and um, he actually also at the same time has he has a doubling business. So he basically gets people to come in for the football adverts. He gets all the football adverts and, and he'd, he'd basically, at the time I, I did Ronaldo. So I was lucky that I'd, I could meet Ronaldo on the day. Um, and it's basically where they wouldn't pay all the players that much money to be there for the full time. And you'd go and do their sort of leg shots. You'd do their, their other little bits that, that you could do. And then uh, whenever their face needs to come into play, that's, that's where the money shots really are. Well, what was it like meeting Ronaldo then? Yeah, he was good. He was, and it was at a good time of his career because he just won the the Ballon d'Or at Man United, um, and he was in his final season, and he was just coming, really sort of setting the world alight a little bit. Um, and he was also at the same time, he, he had a lot more time for you uh, because he wasn't had, didn't have so many things going on, and he yeah. was just living in Man. He was living in Manchester on his own. So he didn't have, have things to get back to. Obviously, now where he's got his family and things like that, he's he's very quick at the adverts. He's he's sort of in and out. Um, but I, I was lucky because it's out of any professional footballer I've ever seen at an advert, he was there for the longest amount of time that I've experienced. He ended up being there for three and a half hours, and he, I didn't really have to do anything in the end because he was happy to do it all. So um, now, sort of on to what shot you into the public eye. Football's next star, obviously. Um, don't don't know if you're you're sort of sick of talking about it. I can imagine you you're you're asked about it all the time. But um, it's now ten years ago since since mm-hmm. the competition. Um, we are going back a wee while, of course. But sort of talk me yeah. through how you how you found out about the competition and the 
the trials so, involved in that? Yeah, it was. I was. Um, we were in the Kent FA team, so it's basically the local county team, and we were a good team. Like we we just um, just lost in the national finals, and and there were quite a few boys that were sort of in and about clubs and getting scouted by clubs, and and basically one day they just took us. They took us to training out of nowhere. We had no idea what it was. They just took us to a training session. Um, and we've turned up and there's cameras everywhere. Loads of different things going on. There's signs of Patrick Vieira, the signs of Inter Milan. And we didn't really buy into it. We just took it as a training session and thought, you know what? We just, we'll do what we do. We'll have a bit of a laugh, see what's going on. And then uh, I was lucky enough that a couple of the coaches that were watching sort of spotted me and they said, right, put them into the final match. And then we get out of the sort of 200 that were there on the day, we get put into an 11 on 11. And I see Jamie Redknapp walk through the, walk through the gate. So obviously I'm suddenly thinking, right, maybe this is a bit more serious than, than what we've, we've been told uh, or what we even know about. Because at the time, there wasn't really a show like that. There was Football yeah. Icon about seven years before. Um, and that wasn't as sort of in the public eye. It wasn't as sort of reality TV show as Football's Next Star was. Um, so I just thought he was there. I put on my best performance. And I was lucky enough that on that day, he chose me to go through. And I think from there onwards, that's when I thought, you know what, this is something serious. And all the boys were sort of bigging it up as well. Um, and it's just quite funny. Like that's, that's generally how, how the football careers can work. It's not just me there on a reality TV show and getting lucky that Jamie Redknapp spotted me. It's, it's the same time There's so many players that I played. If you get that one lucky break, you score that one goal when it matters, or you get a manager that suddenly likes you, then that's, that's how football can work. And that's how, how you can really sort of traject your career. You mentioned Jamie Redknapp there. What what was he like with you? He was he was really good with me because at the time I was I was sixteen years old and I was signing a contract for Welling United in the in the conference. And for me that was a big thing because I was I was sixteen playing in the conference and I knew that was a big step and not many other players were doing it at that time and I'd been offered money to play football. So obviously for me that was that was massive. Mm. Um and he sort of gave me the right advice, which I think a lot of players don't get. I think especially in and around non-league, in and around League Two, League One, managers will try and get get young players on on pretty silly money and uh, sort of fix them in a long-term contract that they probably don't really know what's going on. Um, so I was lucky enough that he advised me to sort of stay out of that and um, and sort of continue with the show. And and at the end of the day, he said, if if nothing comes out of the show, then there'll be something afterwards anyway. So he he, he gave me good advice, and it was it was good to follow. So was it was it forty boys initially? Is that right? Yeah. So we then went to we then went to Watford, and there was forty boys. Um, I think it started at about seven or eight thousand, mm-hmm. um, but we got down got down to forty at Watford, and uh, that was quite funny because. It's very much, it was a little bit like X Factor, the way you're looking around and you're, you're just looking at everyone's competition. Yeah. And you're not used to that sort of atmosphere in, in the world of football because normally you just turn up as one team against one team and it's 11 on 11. But this was 40 players all sort of dog eat dog trying to get into the final 10. Um, and it, and it, was as, it was as brutal as you can imagine that 20 people got told in the change when they were going home after day one. Uh, 20 people got told they're staying for day two. Um, and then when it got down to the final 20 on the Sunday, exactly the same thing again. You're just sitting down and, and they're calling up 10 names. And, and at the time, you're, all you're, it's going through your head is this is everything. And you yeah. feel like, and for the boys that didn't make it, 
they were in the same boat thinking, oh no, I've just lost out on everything. Um, and obviously there's so many more opportunities to come in football, but you're so focused on what's going on. And because of the cameras, because of the reality TV show side of things, it, it felt like that was the be one end all. You're obviously a, a, a tricky, sort of skillful, quick winger. Did, did you fancy yourself at the time in terms of you know, get, getting that far? Um, I Pump think I was, co- I, was, I was confident throughout just because, um, just because of Jamie Redknapp, really. Um, I remember on, because we'd had so much contact before the Final 40 and he'd given me his number, we'd been speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we turned up to the Final 40, out of everyone that was there, he came up and spoke to me. So I think that in itself just gave me the confidence to think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go on and do something in the show because if he's out of his time coming to me ahead of other, other people, then that means he sort of, he's got to fancy me for something. So in my head, that gave me all the confidence that I needed to, to do what I could do. So just coming on to the, the, the final 10 now, even, even if you don't win at this point, you're still getting to, you know, it's like a yeah. like luxury villa type thing and. uh, and Italy was on Lake Como, I think. Yeah, right? it was on Lake Como. Yeah, it was a big mansion on the side of the on the lake, which we'll probably never experience something like that again. Um, but obviously, yeah, as a 16, 17-year-old, 17 we were just going with it. And every day, every day they were taking us somewhere new. It was a good idea because for the for the TV show purposes, it was like showing you what professional football's life was. Yeah. And, and to be fair, for those that 10 weeks, it was exactly like that. They, they treated us in every way that they could. Uh, you felt like you were above the world. You had cameras on you nonstop. Um, so it was a good ex- it was a good experience. But I, re- I just remember thinking every week we were all in the same boat. We were going just want to make it till next week. That's what it was. None of us ever wanted to go home. So what what, what was the what was the sort of food, the culture, training, and things? Obviously, must have been top notch. What what was that like? And obviously, you're 17 at the time. So is it a bit you know daunting? Move well, you didn't move, but sort of going away yeah. from home at a young age. Uh, I think at the time, because you're going away with, with yeah, like you said, we're going away with 10 boys and a whole camera crew that, that are all English or Irish or Scottish as well. Um, and you're just thinking, it just seemed like a little sort of like football tour. That's the way that it seemed. Um, and I, I just, yeah, I mean, I remember thinking when someone went home, it was so brutal simply because of the fact that what they don't show behind the cameras, it would take two or three hours to film each scene of someone going home. So when it came up and shown you're in the danger zone, you probably had to repeat that shot about 10 times and you had to keep walking in and out. You had to keep waiting to find out your fate. And um, the lifestyle was, it was unbelievable for what it was at that time. It was unbelievable. Um, In some ways, I think looking back on it, they probably bigged it up too much made it look amazing for the show, but didn't really think for the winner, they're actually going to be going out and living out there and they're not going to have that lifestyle yet. Yeah. So I think, I think that's the one thing. And, and I think it's quite lucky that I had quite a strong head anyway. So I, I sort of just adapted to the way life was after that. But I think if you were someone else that maybe couldn't adapt as well, or maybe did suddenly feel a bit homesick, you are chucked into the deep end with, with everyone being Italian and suddenly you've gone from living on Lake Como to you're now living on the training facilities. You mentioned the other lads there in, in the competition. Obviously, you're living together, basically. You must sort yeah. of grow closer a wee bit. Obviously, it's sad to see them go. It was, yeah, and I remember. Yeah, I mean, one by one, I, I got along with um, I got along with the Irish boys really well, and I got along with Reese, who was, who was the only Scottish boy, Scottish boy in the competition. And I, th- I think out of all of them, 
I really remember Reese's one because he was gutted. He was really gutted to go, like you would be. Um, he was gutted to be out of there. And, and you do feel like at the time, you feel like that is the end of your dream. Um, exactly the way that they do an X Factor, like the way that when they're kicked out, they sort of feel like that's, that's the end. And then for a lot of the time, it can be the end. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, I mean, I think that was, it was, like we said, it was so harsh on, on people of such a young age to go through that sort of mentality. But I think everyone would admit we all, we all came out the other side of it. Um, still got most of the boys on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I was actually only speaking to Reese the other day. Um, so we, we all come out the other side of it and we've all been strong enough from it. And, and when you can look back at it now and say 10 years ago, what an experience we had. So as it's sort of getting down to, you know, the final five, four, three, and then you're in the final two, what are you sort of thinking at this point? Are you getting a bit more confident as it goes on? Yeah, I think, I think the whole way through, uh, there were rumours that it was between me and Craig. It was always sort of me and Craig. We, we were the ones that had probably been doing a bit better in the games. Mm-hmm. We both took the armband for the first two games. Um, so there was just a lot of things like that that was teasing us towards us being being down there towards the end. Um, I actually had an opportunity early on in the show, which they don't show on the TV show. Um, they show a bit where we go and watch the first team training and, and Gavin sprints over. They, they, they ask for someone. Gavin just sprints over and joins in training with all these players. And then as Gavin comes back, they actually then call over to me and call me over. And this was there's still eight of us there left and they just called me individually and I was a little bit like that's what sort of put me in the frame of mind of actually if they're asking for me now and like we said before I had Jamie Redknapp giving me all this confidence yeah I really felt like that's when it's like actually all right, I'm here to try and win it um and and that's sort of the mentality that I got myself into and I think once we got into the final three it was me Craig and Connor and um at that time we all wanted to get in the final three simply because we were getting a load of Nokia stuff which is which is crazy when you think about it, but we were promised by one of the guys who was really big up in in Nokia to give us all these new smartphones and stuff like that, and, and that's all we were think, that's all we were thinking of at the time. We were like, right, perfect, we're gonna get ourselves all these new phones. Um, and I remember some of the boys that went out after not being in the final three asking if they could still get the phones. It's funny where you where your mentality sort of switched off towards. Um, but we were probably the deserved final three and it was always going to be quite close between us. Um, I think Craig did turn it around. Originally, he had his he had his sort of homesickness problems and he was struggling for the first couple of weeks. But after that, he did, he did stick in. And when he got to the final three, he did want to give it a good go. I think they might have chosen against him because of the fact they felt like if he was homesick early on, uh, he probably wouldn't have suited towards it. And then um came down to me and Connor at, at the end and I think probably a similar situation I think I just adapted better to the the lifestyle the training I was a little bit more up for it where I think Connor might have been a bit more nervous and anxious towards what could be happening to him so uh, I think I surprised myself the whole way through and even when I went out to it I surprised myself of how much I sort of just dug in and, and it didn't really phase me I'm sure I, I'm sure Connor's at Plymouth now but do, do, you, do you keep in touch with Craig because he was obviously one of the best there as well yeah, I've got Craig on Twitter. Um, he pretty much did what I imagined he would. He went, he went back to Ireland, played, played pretty good standard in Ireland. I know he's still playing in Ireland as well now. So I think we all sort of knew he wanted to stay in Ireland. Um, he wanted to play his football there. I actually played against Connor last year. He's, he went to, he's at Wildstone now. Oh, he right. was at Plymouth. Yeah, he was at Plymouth uh, the year before. Um, he's, he's done really well out of it, Connor, because 
And it's one thing that I, I said if they were going to do a Football's Next Star 2, realistically, it, it needed to be in England because all of, all of the people watching, everyone was English. And suddenly you're, you're chucked out in, in Italy where you're, suddenly everyone's going to forget about you. I was out there for two years and, and people do because at the time we weren't watching Italian football. We weren't into foreign football at all. And um, Connor got the chance to be at Watford and, and they were good to their youth boys and they offered them quite long-term deals. And uh, it, it got him the opportunity to play a lot of his football back over here. And, and had the show, like we said, had it been a Man City, they were planning on doing a Football's Next Star 2 with Man City. Had it been there, then I think people would suddenly be looking out for you a little bit more and they'd, they'd watch out for you in the academies and watch out for you in, in the sort of under-23 games. And you'd be more noticed. You'd, you'd, people would know why you're there and, and how you got there and things like that. So I think that would be the only thing um, that I would have wanted to do because I always, in the end, I wanted to come back to to Britain to play my football. So I think I think now if they if they probably brought it back a, a similar type show, I, I think it would be huge, especially now. It was. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think back then you had social media. So no, I think yeah, that that's the one thing. I remember we had Facebook, right? And after the first show, my Facebook crashed. It just absolutely went mental. At first, I was trying to accept everyone, just sort of like friend requests and things like that. And it just, it got it got to the point after the first episode, I had 10,000 friend requests. And then my Facebook just crashed after about an hour. Wow. Um, and it, yeah, it was, it was mental. Because even at the time when I did come back to England, you started getting noticed a little. And you're thinking, this was just a TV show for 16, 17-year-old footballers. But I remember on their, their final airing, they beat Strictly Come Dancing. So they managed to get more viewers than Strictly on, on the final show. Jeez. And it makes you think, why well, they've never done it again. Um, <laughs> there's probably the contracts and things like that may have gone a bit sour uh, between the actual company filming the show and, and Sky One. So maybe things didn't work out that way. But in terms of the football reality TV show, we've, we've never had one. We've never had one since. And you, and you look at how successful things like Salford City are and class of 92 and, and even all or nothing the man city program and Sunderland until i die yeah it's it's all these shows are massive for football fans and there's just not one that's really set alight again in terms of reality tv and reality football and and i do think at the same time with with our show the one thing we didn't show enough of was the football i think we showed a lot of the the reality side of things living in italy yeah. but then we only ever showed you only ever got to see in the final sort of part of every episode it was normally the bottom two players so you're only ever really seeing the bad things that are going on a lot of the time because they're focusing on the two that are in the danger zone mm -hmm. I feel like if they'd have done the episode and then just put the live game on so we had a game every week and at the end of the day there's so many football fans that actually would have wanted to watch that game Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we could have done some of that but yeah I am I'm surprised it never um, took to, to, to being in England but I, I think Probably in the future, you never know. There might be a Footballs Next Star too, and and I imagine it would be quite successful if if they managed to do it in England. So obviously you went on to win it. Um, you must have been quite emotional, but also obviously absolutely buzzing. What what was that like? You know, a dream come true. And, and what was it? You know, you mentioned publicity there afterwards. What's that like? And do you feel a wee bit of pressure? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the thing was first of all after I won it, I was yeah, you're over the moon. Um, but the one thing that still rings in my ear was Jamie Redknapp going to me, if you didn't win, you had a two-year deal at Tottenham with my dad. And in my head at the time, I was just like, all oh, right, but I'm going to win at Milan. But then when you actually start thinking about that, and like I said, I wanted to play in England. I wanted yeah. to come back 
and do it all there. And if I'd have had two years under my belt at Tottenham and then you're going from a club like Tottenham to somewhere, you stand a lot more chance of, of making it in terms of in England. Um, so that, that's, that's one thing that's always played on my mind a little bit. But you've just, you've just won a contract. You've won a reality TV show where you're, you're set to go and join Inter Milan, who, who that year was lucky enough to, to win the treble. And I wasn't playing the first in games, but I managed to experience it. I travelled with the squad at times, in the change rooms at times, always had a ticket right behind the bench. So, you know what I mean? Like you, you, don't, you sort of forget how surreal that really was, that yeah. you were part of a, of a club that won the Champions League that year. They won the Coppa Italia and they won Serie A. And it was Jose Mourinho at his finest. It was when he was the best manager in the world. And, he, and he, every player just had so much awe for him. Everyone was in awe of him and they had so much respect of, of the way that he worked. And, and I just remember when, when he spoke, you just believed everything he said and you took in everything he said because he was on top of the world at the time. And um, obviously it's hard for him now because I feel like his respect has been lost a little bit uh, where, where he, is, he hasn't done as well in England since. But at the time, it was an unbelievable experience. It's just, if you look in hindsight, yeah, maybe I would have had a more prolonged uh, professional career but you can't say no at the time what, what are you thinking at the time because you know you've obviously signed a contract with Inter Milan but are you sort of thinking realistically I'm not going to play with Inter Milan maybe I, I don't know if that was your mindset or are you just sort of going brilliant you know I've got, I've got a foot in the game of now obviously it raises your profile yeah I think it was more the second one I think it was more the second one like, this is my chance uh, my name's going to be out there. Um, yeah. You've won a you've won a TV show that everyone's going to be watching, and I think it would. I think in my head, I didn't really even facilitate the the opportunity of of going elsewhere, simply because of the fact. Imagine watching this TV show where someone's gone on one and he's got a six month contract into Milan, and then suddenly he turns it down at the end. I just feel like that would almost just uh, ruin the show in some ways, and it would defeat the object of of the show. So. In my head, there was only one option, and it was giving that a go and and see how seeing how that went. Um, I was always quite intrigued to living abroad, and I'm glad I did it. Um, it was a brilliant experience. I'd always advise any player to spend at least a season abroad because you learn so much. Um, I think the one thing was was wanting to come back home and wanting to come play back over here. Basically, that was the one thing that was probably my downfall. Um, but yeah, like like we said before, I mean, it was it was strange when when the show was going on and I did come back suddenly you were getting notice so if I ever went to Blue Water which was the local shopping centre you were getting a lot of people turn heads and you sort of liked it but then at the same time it did feel a bit you, you couldn't I was complete opposite extreme to someone like Cristiano Ronaldo it, he couldn't physically walk for a street but yeah. you found that you couldn't actually not misbehave but you know I mean you couldn't do anything a little bit, you couldn't go to the pub and, and get too drunk because someone's going to be knowing you. You couldn't go and have a kickabout with your mates because someone knows who you are. Um, it did feel a little bit like that, and it was it was strange. And, it, it, and like I said, that's that was a taste. That was a taste of what the real footballers actually experience and the real lifestyle that they live. So initially, you signed a six-month deal, but but what sort of happens thereafter? Are you are you sort of training straight with the first team, or are you in with a youth team, or? I went straight into the academy, so I went into the under-18s. Um, and I think that's where we were saying, like, had it been a show in England, they would have known who you were. I think that was the first step. It was suddenly you've joined this Inter Milan academy and none of the players have a clue who you are. 
because the show never aired in Italy. So they they didn't know what was going on. They just saw you as this random English guy who's just come into the team. Um, so you've already got to adapt to that. Uh, you've then got the language uh, and the living style. But I mean, I, I, I've enjoyed living out there. I enjoyed that. Like, the food was unbelievable. Ever since I'm back here every night as pizza or pasta. That's all I ever eat now. Um, but the living style was was very different. Um, training was very different. The language barrier was was a big thing in, in Inter Milan anyway, because a lot of the boys weren't all Italian. So you, you couldn't have a relationship with the coach or manager because you weren't really catching on because everyone you'd end up speaking to would be Eastern European. So they'd speak English better than they could speak Italian. Right. So you find yourself actually speaking English the majority of the time. And, and I think that's... So one thing a lot of people don't see in football clubs, um, especially at the top level, gets even more at the top level. You look at like Man City, if you walked into their changing room, you'd have five or six players only speaking in Spanish uh-huh. and not understanding any English. And it's like we, have, we had with Aguero, he's probably been here six, seven years. He's only just started speaking English properly um, because they're always in, in a group of, of different players. Like if the French boys would be speaking French to each other, and you do sort of get yourselves in groups like that. Um, and that's sort of what happened in Inter Milan. You'd, you'd speak English to ones who could speak English. They'd help translate if, if they understood the, the coaching session. And then you just, you'd fly from there. But I think as soon as I got offered the extra contract after that, that's when I stepped into the reserves. Um, and that was also when I went on loan to Como as well. Yeah. And... Um, that's the sort of that chucked me in the deep end because that, I remember my first training session with Como. No one was could speak a word of English. It's it's typical for Italians. Their English is terrible, um, so no one could speak any English at all. And and I think I clocked on about three or four weeks in. Suddenly I was pretty fluent because you had to learn it. And you had to know what was going on. And the the way that you had to learn is I found out from the manager on the first training session just signed there on loan. So obviously I'd come from into Milan. I had quite a big sort of name tag under my belt because obviously you're coming from this top club. And um, I remember him asking me to throw it in his, in his chest and I had no idea what he was saying. So I kept throwing it at his feet just as a part of a training drill. And I did it once, he volleyed it back. I did it a second time and he sort of volleyed it back and started shouting. And I had no idea what was going on. Third time I threw it back at his feet again and just volleyed it back at my face as hard as he could. <laughs> and that's just, that's, that's the way the Italians were. And at the time, I think a lot of players could crumble to that. And a lot of players that are now in the game coming through, they don't experience what a lot of managers were like. Um, I'm sure we'll come on to what Terry Butcher was like. So a lot of, a lot of people won't experience what these managers are like. And they're not, they're not ready. They're not mentally stable for that. So I think I was, I was probably a borderline almost going the other way. But I did manage to carry on and actually end up having a really good relationship with that manager. And I still speak to him now. So it's, it's funny how you've got to be mentally strong to, to get to that to that sort of level. You mentioned there the, the culture and the whole lifestyle things. What, 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 what does it involve sort of learning the language and all that? How, dif- how difficult is it and how, how, you, how are you settling in and things at this point? Yeah, it was, it was difficult. We, me and the other Eastern European sort of boys would, would actually take two or three Italian lessons a week. And to be honest, getting taught Italian is nothing in comparison to actually getting chucked in a change room of Italian boys. Um, almost reminds me of when I was in Scotland, I went on loan to Stenhouse Muir. Yeah. And I couldn't understand a word anyone was saying in the changing room. <laughs> it was like a different language. But um, 
it's the same, and and you catch on to what everyone's saying, and you you, you start to realise it that way. Um, and yeah, I found once you got it, it it made so much of a difference because suddenly I was you're going into shops, things like this. You're talking Italian, you're ordering things in Italian, and and everyone sees you as an Italian. That sort of I got to that point where when I was talking, people thought I was Italian. So it it was it it was a good thing, and people would only once I said something stupid or I started talking to someone in English, you were like, oh, I thought you were Italian. So I really did catch on because I was around so many Italians. I guess I got their accent. So I sort of got it from them. But it's such a hard language. It, it makes no sense in terms of the way that English translates to Italian. Yeah. Um, even some, some stuff I forget today, I go on Google Translate. You try and translate it and it just it doesn't make a word of sense. And um, we had an Italian boy actually at Tunbridge Angels this year and he spoke good English. But just the way that they speak English doesn't work for us. Yeah, they say things in, in, a, in a very different order. And I, I think that's the one thing I've probably never completely got the hang of was saying things in a different order. Because in my head, I was thinking in Italian. Everything was in Italian. But you're still at the same time, if you're coming up with a new word, you're thinking what it was in English as well. So some of the order things was, was stuff that I don't feel I would ever got. And I think a lot of it would, it would take years to really get that. So obviously you mentioned um, Inter Milan are winning the treble at this point. You're there. Are you sort? Are you sort of in the the same vicinity as these guys? You know, your big stars. I've got a list. You know, Zanetti, Vieira, Balotelli, yeah. yeah. Eto, Schneider. I mean, that's just a few. Are you sort of? Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was a crazy season. Yeah, yeah. We 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 were lucky enough to. We'd always train at the first team ground. So there was a first team training grounds. Um, and then there was a reserve, well, not reserve, like an academy training facility. And we'd always travel every day. We lived on the academy training facility. Right. And we'd always travel to the first team one every day. So we'd see them. Um, yeah, they and they'd talk to us. They'd come and say hello. So we were we were very much in and amongst it. We were using the same gym. Um, we were eating in the same place. Literally everything was completely the same. They'd, they'd probably sometimes be training at different times or training a little bit less than us. But... Um, yeah, you felt amongst it and you felt part of it all. And, and like you said, yeah, these, these players, pretty much all of the ones you named there were in the pinnacle of their career. That was, their, that was where they'd all peaked. That was their best season that any of them had probably ever had. And, yeah. and they're, they're known as legends for it ever since. Um, but I, I, I remember, yeah, whenever playing against them in training, I, I, I was lucky enough I had two weeks training with them. So generally what they do, they pull up a player from the reserves that they, they wanted or needed and um, they'd get you in them, in with them for training to help help out their session. Um, and I had two weeks with them, and it was yeah the best two weeks. And you actually you were more relaxed because the session wasn't as cutthroat as reserves because reserves know two or three of them are going to make it. Other than that, there's there's eighteen players that are that are fighting for a place at some point. Um, so when you get in the first, it's more relaxed. You can more express yourself a little bit, and and even like from from the manager themselves, that like Jose would be on the side just smiling. So it was, it was all, it was all almost surreal, really. When you look back at it now, it was completely surreal that, that you're even um, passing to players and playing with players like that. But um, at the same time, I was realistic. I knew even if I'm going to train with the first team, that I'm still a million miles away from the first team. Yeah. Um, because they they had about thirty players. They had some some of the players, even like like we're saying Balotelli. Balotelli rarely got in the team. So you're looking at all these players that aren't actually getting in the team uh, Charisma Charisma was never in the squad 
all these top quality players that are smashing it in training. You don't, you don't realise, I think people probably, it's another thing we all forget about with the teams we support. There's, there's a good 15 players in the background that are still on contracts that are still there training. We just don't see them on a squad day. We don't see them in the squad when, when it comes to a match. Um, and that's when you realise that you, you are a million miles away because if anyone's going to drop out, one of them is going to step in as they're the experienced players. So, but just to experience it in itself was unbelievable. I'm not, I'm not going to try and sort of compare Scottish football, English football with, yeah. with Italian and stuff in terms yeah. of the level you were at. But what, what's the difference in, you know, like, Maybe the, the style of play or the, the coaching style, what's, what's that like? It was, the coaching style was pretty ruthless. Uh, like, like I said earlier, they were, they were really on it. Um, demanding, in a good way. But I think when you're used to a different coaching style, especially when in England at the time, it was just coming into where a lot of young, positive managers were coming in and, and really technical, tactical managers whereas Italians are a bit more hard-working and just very defensive-minded. And I think that's why Jose did so well while he was out there, because he is known to be quite a defensive manager. Um, but if you watched Serie A, it wasn't that exciting, simply because of the fact it was almost like a basketball game. Once one team got the ball, the other team just retreated. And it pretty much skipped the midfield every single game. And that's why I think Vieira found it so easy, because he was coming to the end of his career. And he was just literally getting the ball, driving and taking it on towards the attack. And, and it was all about basically just not letting them score. And, and, and you'll see it in the score lines. We've got in the, in the Prem at the moment or in the Scottish Prem as well, constant goals going in. Goals everywhere. But in, in Italian football, the amount of nil-nils and one-nils that were going on, just because it's, it's so defensive-minded. So I think it helped. And at the time, I was getting coached a lot into being a right-back, which is, for me, I couldn't mentally get it in my head. But it was because he wanted me to learn how a left winger would play against you. And also at the same time, they were they were four three three. It Italy was nonstop four three three. So the the right back could bomb on and almost be a winger. So I spent most even when I went to Como, I was left wing back. I spent my whole time out in Italy basically being quite defensive because that's the way that they played their players. You you had a really good spell at Como, I think it was eight goals or something in the in the games you played. What, what, yeah. what was the spell like? You mentioned a wee bit about the, the coaching. Yeah, that was, what, what the I really enjoyed it there. Yeah, and I, I was, that was another one where I was, I was living with Italian boys. Um, and you, that was probably the most time you really felt like you lived in Italy and you felt a bit more part of it. Um, and had it been, it was mainly the reason that I didn't continue was just because it was all the financial problems in Italy at the time. And there was a lot of corruptness going on, uh, match fixing. Um, there's a lot of match fixing possibilities going on in our games. I remember people sort of asking whether we had any match fixes, whether we're willing to to sort of uh, to deviate the scoreline, whether we're willing to let in a goal, talking to goalkeepers, and that that was going on, and that was a serious part of Italian football at the time. Wow. And um, I remember I'd been there for four months, and it got to Christmas, and it was when my loan was coming up, and it was it was pretty much down to me whether I wanted to stay they wanted me to but the manager was as honest as they could be which is good because you, you don't get many managers that would be this honest he said to me we physically we can offer you this deal but we physically can't confirm that we'll pay you the money because our players haven't been paid for four months and I remember all of the boys all the time that I've been there none of the boys have been, been paid and some of the boys were sort of drifting out sort of stopped playing because of the fact that 
they weren't getting any money. People were asking for money as it was Christmas time. They were asking the manager for for loans, asking the club for loans. The club was doing it, but it was just funny to see Italian football in that way. Um, and obviously, where I was an English boy living out in Italy, you can't take no money. You have to have a certain amount of money coming in because I didn't have any family out there and I was the one that was needing to live out there myself. So had there been money, it it probably would have been a no-brainer to sign on with Como and to stay with Como, but it was never really the opportunity because of the way things were. So it meant I had to come back to England and give it a shot. So just, just lastly on Inter Milan, obviously you've got Mourinho in charge. He, did, did you have many dealings with him? What, what was he like with you? Did it, you know, anything he say resonate with you? Yeah, more, more, more um, with Mourinho. He'd, he'd always be there and he'd always shake your hands. Um, I actually experienced Rafa Benitez came in. Um, that was when I was on loan. And quite a few of the boys that I'd been playing with in the reserves actually got a chance in the first thing. So it's another thing. If I didn't go on loan, I think there would have been a possibility to actually get some first team appearances because some of the boys did. It wouldn't have been in terms of too enjoyable for him because it was when Milan suddenly went into free fall and they suddenly started losing all their games and they were having to play some of the reserve players because players didn't really want to play for Rafa Benitez. Um, so I could have got a bit lucky there, but then at the same time, it wasn't the same into Milan anyway. And like we said, I managed to do quite well while I was on loan. Um, so didn't get much with Rafa Benitez, but yeah, Mourinho, I remember him saying to me, um, just don't ever let the passion drop. And it's not like I've constantly listened to that and played that on my mind, but it's something that I've, I've definitely lived by. I've never let the passion of football drop. Um, I've gone through so many ups and downs. I've gone through so many different football clubs and also with, with my coaching as well now. So it's something that I'm, I'm still loving football. I've been out there all day today coaching one-on-one sessions. So it's something out of passion still there. And, and obviously that comment in itself must have stood. Brilliant. So you mentioned there a wee bit about the, the type of players there as well. Do, do any of these guys, you know, kind of bother with the youth team? Obviously they're sort of multi-millionaires, but are any of them, you know, sort of speaking to you, lending you advice, things like that? Yeah, I think, I think it's the same at every club. I think it's the ones you'd imagine. The ones that you really would think, he seems like a nice guy, they do that. And like we said, Patrick Vieira was, was unbelievable. I remember he had his arm around me in training. We did an interview together out there where he was saying that I was doing well in training. Um, yeah. People like that. I mean, Zanetti was another one. His, his English wasn't great. And obviously, while I was training with the, the first team in Milan, that's where my Italian wasn't great. Um, but he was one he'd, he'd look out to help you. And I, and I just think that team was probably one of the nicest teams that you, you're ever going to get. They were all seem to be towards the end of their career. And generally, when you get a bit more experience, you, you understand the games, you understand for younger players. Um, the only one that was obviously a bit of a, a loose, loose cannon was Balotelli. And yeah. he himself at the time was only 19 anyway. So I think players were sort of putting their arm around him and looking after him because the stuff he was doing was, wouldn't go down well at any club. He'd, he'd go into the town in AC Milan kit and get everyone to take loads of photos of him. Because he was an AC Milan fan, and you're thinking this is one of the biggest rivalries in the world. Um, so stuff like that. He, he, he had a lot of the players like the Aaron's and Eddie with, with their arms around him. But yeah, it's the ones you'd expect. And like I said, if all the experienced players there, because they were so in awe of Mourinho, everything was so relaxed. So there was no sort of hardship for the younger players. I think had it been the following year, and I'd been breaking in then, uh, it could have been a bit brutal because 
players suddenly weren't wanting to play. Players would have been on your case because you might have been taking their position by this point. Mm-hmm. But because things were going so well in that year, every, everything was just so positive. So you mentioned, obviously, you were out on loan at Como and then you, your time at Inter Milan obviously comes to an end. How, how did that all come about with, a, with, with, you know, with you leaving? And where you sort of... Did you ever think about staying abroad, staying in Italy? Or was it always, do you want to come back home? I think it was always coming back, yeah. I mean, it got to the point I re-signed for another, for another year from my initial contracts. Um, and that was taking me to the end of sort of reserve football at the time. They were under 19s. So that was taking me to the end of that. And then there's no step in between. There is now, but at the time there was no step in between. So I knew I, knew I wasn't then going to be an Inter Milan first team player. Yeah. Um, so I knew there was towards the end of it it was really it was looking at Como but with the financial issues I, I thought right this is my opportunity to go back go back to England and, and try and play football over there I've really enjoyed it over here I've had my spell um, and it's time to go back there and, and show what I can do and, and I came back over and it's funny it's exactly what everyone probably thought the same of is, is almost like the tweets that go on now is do you remember Football's Next Star and what happened to Football's Next Star? And, and it was like that. I'd, I'd been away for two years. And like we said earlier on, nobody's watching Italian reserve football. Nobody's watching that. So I'm this player that was suddenly up here in the media to completely forgotten about because it's, it's two years later and that's football. You can't, it, it almost, it was like having two years off coming back to England. Um, so it felt like starting again, really, which was not frustrating but it's just the way it was. And then I, I went to Brighton at the time and it was when Brighton won League One. Right. So I was, I was training with them all the time. I was enjoying it. But also at the same time, you're still a 19-year-old and you always get put in this category where it's going to the under-23s, uh, go and play for the under-23s. And, and it's, it's the hardest thing that I have now where I'm on the other side of things, trying to get players from 18, 19 into that first team simply because you need a manager to trust you. Um, you need a manager to not be under pressure to be able to play these younger players. And it works not just at any standard that I'm coaching, it's, just, it's the top standards as well. Um, there's not many younger players that will break through because they'll get stuck in the 23s. And then it's, they'll probably get loaned out to a lower club. And that's just the way that football seems to work. So you mentioned there, you, you go back to, back to England. What's the sort of script with this? You know, um... You mentioned a trial at Brighton, but are there no clubs sort of in for you? Because obviously you've you've come from Inter Milan. It's a high-profile yeah. club. Surely somebody's gonna, you know, want to take a chance on you. But you ended up, I think, going to, back to Welling where you sort of started. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's just, that's the silly thing. It, it because I'd been in Italy, there wasn't anyone that was going to take that chance because technically they don't know if I've even been playing football for two years mm-hmm. because where we said they don't know what's been going on if. There was a lot of interest in Italy. There was a lot of Serie B, Serie C clubs wanting, wanting to sign me at the time. But because of all the financial and the, and the match-fixing stuff that was going on, it was, it was corrupt out there. And like I said, I, I couldn't stay out there. So that's where you, you almost feel like you're starting again. And you almost feel like you have been forgotten about. And um, there wasn't anyone. Yeah, so I, I did after the Brighton stuff. And Brighton won League One. Again, I was part of the part of the squad with stuff like that. I was never playing because I was put into the under twenty ones at the time um, in the development squads. Uh, playing with Lewis Dunk all the time. Uh, Steve mm-hmm. Cook was there as well, so we had a good we had a good under twenty one team. But I think it just proves it. You look at half of the boys don't play anymore, and and then the, the other half 
a con- a, do you know what I mean? Like a Lewis Dunk, who's, who's now playing for England and fully deserved it. He, he was a really good player at the time and, and Brighton trusted in him to keep him going. Um, so I thought in my head, I remember I had a chat with Steve Cook um, and he was on loan at Eastbourne. And he was probably about, he was 90% going to sign for Eastbourne in the conference and leaving Brighton. And we sort of had the conversation, oh, it's probably quite good to, to play first-team football, but also at the same, same time, you probably need that parent club having your back. Mm-hmm. So he never went to Eastbourne in terms of to sign permanently. He went and played there and it was good for him. And he ended up, because of that, he signed for Bournemouth. And ever since now, he's, he's at Bournemouth playing in the Prem. Done all right, yeah. And so I think, I think in my head was like, I was 19, 19 years old. I could stick it out at an under-23s for four more years. Hope I get lucky that the first team then bring me up, or I can go into the a non-league system where where I, I know, where I know a lot of people, where I've used to play, where I was younger when I was playing, and try and impress there. And, and at the end of the day, I think non-league is it's a big, it's got a big backing. And I think if you do set that one season alight and you get lucky, there is always a manager out there that might sign you. So that was my thinking, and I went back to Welling to finish off the season. Had a good little spell with Welling. We got in the playoff final. Um, and sort of went from there and, and sort of got my head back into non-league again. So you mentioned there, you're at non-league from basically, I think it was until 2013. Well, obviously, we'll, yeah. touch, we'll touch on, um, you know, reflecting back on all, all, all your career towards the end. But um, just moving on now to coming, coming on to Inverness. Mm. Um, as I say, you're playing National League. How, how does the move sort of come about? You mentioned Terry Butcher at the start. Was it him in charge? Yeah, it was Terry Butcher. Um, I just started playing. I was at Ebbsfleet, and I was playing. I was playing. I was in and out of Ebbsfleet, and I was very much not getting the the rub of the green because we kept losing. Um, and I again, it's what happens. I was twenty years old. Um, they don't trust a twenty year old when you when you're down in the relegation zone. But the few good games that I managed to play, and the ones that I did play, Inverness were watching. Um, so we had scouts from Inverness watching and, and they came into me I think it was around November time uh, so we knew I was sort of leaving in January that was the plan uh, got to New Year's Day I was on the way out and then there was an international clearance problem meaning I, I went up to Scotland I was up there for I think about three or four weeks training and um, ended up being an international clearance problem where I couldn't sign that season mm-hmm. um, so that was reasonably frustrating. But then at the same time, it was good to have that back in and know, right, I'm back into this and I'm back at a good club. Terry Butcher really wants me. He was, he was desperate to get me signed. I remember we lost one game. Um, I think we lost against Celtic. I think it was a close game against Celtic in the season before I signed right. and I was up there and he came into the office where I'd been sitting and he shouted at the secretary going, when are we getting his form sorted? Hurry up again. And that, that sort of, Gave me that little boost, thinking, you know what, he, he wants me there, and he wants me to be a part of it, and he's obviously he's got a liking to me. And then at the end of that, it's what you need in football. There's a manager that's got a liking to you. That's 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 perfect. Um, so I thought we we had the conversation. He said, look, just go back down. Doesn't matter where you play. Keep your fitness up. Keep it at a reasonable standard, and um, and then next season you'll be here for pre-season. So. I then went back to I went back to non-league and I had a few managers call me and, and it was Danny Cowley that I've, I really sort of listened to who's now at Huddersfield mm-hmm. um, and he was at Concord Rangers and he said look we want to try and get promoted in the Ryman Premier and obviously that suited me I, I wasn't he knew it was a three-month deal because I was going back up to Scotland 
So it worked out really well to get the games in, and, and he got the most out of me. We ended up winning the player final. We got promoted, um, and he was he was a really good manager. And it was it wasn't a tough decision because I was always going to Inverness. I was going to the SPL, so it wasn't a tough decision for me. But having done so well under him as a manager, and done so well at the club, it it does make you think really. In hindsight, not that I would change it. Do you stay there and, and then play in the Conference South for them, and then you sort of stick to your manager? And it's one thing that I've always found. At the end of the day, football's chosen by your manager. Football is all down to your manager. Um, if he wants to, if he wants to play you, you might do really well. If he doesn't want to play you, you're going to be out out of the system. Um, so it was difficult turning down one of those managers that got the most out of me because that's what I was doing to Danny Cowley. But at the same time, like I said before. Terry Butcher was really interested. So I had that uh, original relationship with, with Butcher and that was my ambition to get back up there and get playing. I mean, at the end of the day, the selling point of the SPL was unbelievable because look at the teams you're playing. You're playing against Celtic at the time, you're playing against Aberdeen, all the big clubs in the SPL. And, and it, was, it was so big in Scotland. I think the one thing that ever since being in England before and, and coming back to England, we are terrible over here with Scottish football. Yeah, I was going to ask you on that. Yeah, it's you just there's no following of it at all, um, and I found that quite strange when I got up there. How big it was, and that's such a silly thing to say when you think about it. That I came up to Scotland and realised Scottish football was big, but that's all it took, because in England it's just not supported in the same way. It's not watched in the same way because we're so focused in England of the Premier League. Premier League this, top clubs in the, in the Premier League. We don't, and, it's, and it's the same as when I was in Italy. We, weren't, we don't look at things going abroad. And probably until now, with the lockdown, it's the first time a lot of people have watched German football because it's all we can do. Yeah. So I, I, I do think once I got up there, I was, I was in awe of what was going on. I couldn't believe how big it was. I absolutely loved it up there. And it was good to be playing under a manager like Butcher. So um, you mentioned moving up to Inverness. Obviously, up in the Highlands of Scotland, it's not as if you're moving Edinburgh, Glasgow. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. What's that like, sort of settling in? Obviously, you've lived in Milan when you were younger and stuff. But a bit yeah. different than Milan, you could say. It's a little bit different, yeah. I mean, I didn't look at the journey when I first signed. I didn't look at a car journey. You couldn't mm-hmm. realise how far it was from Edinburgh to Inverness. Oh, I couldn't get my head around that. But I've, I've said ever since, it was the best year of, best year of my life in football. Uh, playing, playing in Scotland, playing for Inverness, just because all the boys were in the same boat. Not, not many of the boys were from Inverness. We were all sort of from different parts of England, different parts of Scotland, different parts of Ireland. Um, we had Toby, who was Norwegian. So we were all in the same boat. We were up there living together. And it was just the lifestyle. I, I absolutely loved it. Like we said, with the golf. We were training. I'd then go and play golf in the afternoon. Yeah. Some of the restaurants in Inverness, some of the views when it was a when it was a nice day in Inverness, it was it was unbelievable to live up there. Um, and yeah, I mean it's it's a shame that it didn't continue because I, I can um, hand on my heart say that was the best year of football that was going on for me. Even in the second half of the season when John Hughes came in and I barely featured, I still loved the lifestyle out there. I still loved how everything was, and we just had such a good squad and such a good relationship between each other that some of the when when we had our chance to to have our we had our do where I think it was an international break and and there's always all the clubs go out we I think it was a Christmas do we went out to Dublin and it was just unbelievable just how close the squad was and I've never been in a squad 
where it's been as close as that one was. So yeah. that that was it was, yeah, it was something special that year. It seemed that Inverness did really well on the pitch that year, obviously. And that that goes yeah. hand in hand with the with dressing room and things. Yeah, you had a, a great a great squad at the time. Obviously Inverness now in the, the championship, but I think if it was fifth or something in the premiership, you've got guys like um Ryan Christie now at Celtic, mm-hmm. uh, Graham Shinney. I ha- actually had Greg Tanzi on here uh, a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yeah, he came, he, oh, really, yeah, he came in he came in, in January. Yeah. Um and yeah, I got along with Tanzi really well as well. He was one of the ones that was uh, close to our house that we lived in. Um, so I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I lived. If you look at it, really, it's it's crazy because I lived with Danny Williams, and we yeah. were we were like best mates up there. Um, but when you look back at it, you're both left wingers, and it just didn't bother us at all. It didn't mm-hmm. bother the whole competition. What when it was under Butcher, I know his position changed a little bit under Hughes, and my position did change a little bit as well. So we weren't as in competition towards the end, but. Under Butcher, there'd be times when I'd play left wing and he wouldn't, and then suddenly he might have played left wing and I wouldn't, and it was it was very much like that. Marley at the time, Marley Watkins might be playing left wing and, and we wouldn't, but we all got along so well, and there was no animosity between us. It was just such a good relationship between each other, and and if you look at it, that was all because of Butcher. He wouldn't sign a player that didn't fit in the change room, and if he did, he'd kick him out. He'd kick him down to the academy boys, and it was as mm-hmm. simple as that. And I remember there was there was one. There was one that I won't say who because they might get in trouble with what happened. But um, we we were all out in Inverness, and and some of the Ross County fans had had sort of kicked off with us, which is obviously it's going to happen. It's a rivalry. We weren't we weren't causing any problem, but it's all kicked off a little bit. And the police have come and stepped in, and we, we'd been on a night out all as a team together. And one of the boys was was caught under hiding under a car, and the police took him away. And, they took him. They took him away in the cell for the night, and the next day was like the big Inverness Day do sort of thing, and he he wasn't there for it. Oh, he wasn't there for it. everyone's there. All to meet all the fans, coaching all the kids, and he wasn't there for it. And Butcher seemed a bit annoyed, and we were all a little bit like, right, we've got to stay away from from him today because this could go quite quite badly. And um, we get to Monday morning training session, and uh, we're all sitting there, we're all sort of having a laugh of what happened on Saturday. And, and things and and that and that whoever it was was now in training on the Monday and then how it had gone and um, Terry Butcher comes storming in and everyone's silent. We're all sitting in the changing room and he just writes something up on the board. Um, everyone's just listening to what he's doing and he just straight away says, "Right, stand up if you were out on Saturday night." <laughs> and uh, pretty much the majority of the changing room stood up and he just stopped and just started started clapping. And what he'd written on the board was teamwork. Um, so it was just it, that's that's what Terry Butcher was all about. He he literally he had a good changing room. He wanted us to enjoy ourselves. He wanted us to be be together, and and that's why I, I always look back and say it was probably the best season, simply because of that. Yeah, you meant you, you obviously seemed to really get on with Terry Butcher. Um, John Hughes was he was he sort of well? How how did you find John Hughes? Obviously, he said yeah, it's, he didn't, it's, he didn't it's, as much. It's a funny one because. Um, he had such a successful career in Vanessa afterwards. Yeah, uh, he did. He did really well with them. So at the end of the day, this, this, it was bad for me. I was unfortunate because I was one of the ones that did get um, chucked on the sidelines. Um, but even if you look at it as well, look, the ones that came through under him, really, my position was swapped with Ryan Christie. That's 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 how it was. Ryan wasn't playing under Terry Butcher. Uh, I wasn't playing loads to be honest. Who know it was? It was my first season. I was getting chances to come on. Um, and I was—I felt like in those games, I didn't 
didn't do a low, but I've, I did did enough to be in the team and did enough to be in the squad, and I was enjoying it. I was really building myself into it. Um, and then John Hughes did come in. He, Butcher left a bit sudden. It was all a bit out of nowhere. Um, and it was funny. Like There was probably five or six occasions in training where I don't think he knew my name. And it was just as simple as that, where he'd, he'd, he'd forget my name or... Four things, and that's how it is. He had his players that he obviously had wanted, and um, as things went on, um, Butcher had actually said to me, and and the guy that um, Steve Marcella, who was his goalie coach and his sort of scout, who had scouted me in the first place, he'd said that they they would bring me into into Hibs in the following season. All right. um, so that was obviously something that was playing on my mind. Um, I actually turned down, and I, I don't regret it. But in January, I'd, I'd only played under Hughes for a month and I hadn't really featured um, I remember I'd, I think I had quite a good boxing day at Partick Thistle or something like that. I'd, quite, I'd come on and, and been quite lively done well and then suddenly I wasn't in the squad the next game so I felt a little bit out of the blue I didn't know what was going on um, and I had a deal from a club called Indy 11 in Indianapolis mm-hmm. in America and it was it was quite good money it was flat car I mean, they, they offered everything. It was this brand new team who was going to be in the division below MLS. And I just felt like that was too much of a jump. I felt like that was, and you never know what could happen. In, in that sort of time, you think American football wasn't as big. Yeah. You didn't know what it was going to be like at all, what the league below would be like. Um, and especially after being in Italy, which is obviously a lot closer for two years and then coming back having nothing. I knew if I was going out to America, you're probably going out there for life. Because, again, you wouldn't be able to come back and get a club. Um, so I turned that down. Also hoping that I could still get game time at Inverness. Um, and knowing that Hibs might be on the cars at the end of the season. And then, um, obviously, we all know how the, the season ends up going. Hibernian end up getting relegated under Butcher. And he, he ends up getting fired. So suddenly you're there at the end of the season in a position where you're no longer at a club where you're, you're going to be playing your football. Um, and also the club that you were planning on going to under the manager that, that liked you and respected you is, um, is, is no longer there anymore. So it's, it's almost just, it's funny how it just swings around about some football. And then it, it comes back to my next contacts, back to the Danny Cowley at Concord Rangers again. And that's just generally how it is. You've got to go to a manager that, that trusts you and, and has faith in you and, and wants you to play for them. You mentioned, yeah, that there definitely is a lot, a lot of luck involved in things. Obviously, you, you'd come up there from, from non-league and you yeah. mentioned about um, maybe in England that uh, sort of looked down upon Scottish football, you know. Yeah. You got yeah, the yeah. public pattern and things. Um, yeah. what, what, how would you sort of compare the standard? Um, is, is it a big jump up to the, to the Premiership? Obviously, obviously, you played with Steny as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, I'd probably say there's, it's like there's some clubs in the SPL that would do smash the championship and do well and do well survive in the Premiership. I still think if you put Celtic and Rangers or a team like that in the Premiership, they do really well because suddenly then they can attract more players. TV money, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. They get more money from it and they can get all the all the stars in. Whereas um, because of the way people for some reason do look down on the SPL, it is difficult for for like especially Gerard at the moment, how does he bring in all these players other than offer them a lot of money or are they at the end of their careers? That uh, sort of seems seems to be the way at the moment. But it was, some clubs were probably League One standards. Um, even some could could have been like the bottom ones could be League Two because there's some massive clubs in League Two as well now. 
And that's, that's the way it is. I mean, even you look at the way Adam Rooney went from Aberdeen to go and play for Salford City in the Conference Premier. Uh-huh. I think that is the one thing. There's no denying the English leagues. I mean, I've played in the top seven. Well, not obviously not the, the top few of them, but I've played in, in, in within the top seven. And the standard is so close. And the standard is even in the Conference South now, there's some clubs that are spending so much money that you wouldn't believe. Uh, more than what players are getting in the SPL. And you're just thinking, how does that work? I mean, how are we in the sixth division in the English tiers and suddenly you're actually such a good team still? And I think because England has all this pride and all this money and they, all of that, that they don't focus on other stuff and they don't, they don't really, not don't respect it, but they just don't follow it. They, they sort of get stuck in their own ways. So you mentioned a wee bit earlier, you go on loan to Stenish Muir, obviously. Um, not featuring under John Hughes at Inverness. You're sort of a, um, you know, tricky, skillful winger. What's it like going down to, to League One? You're sort of playing on these tatty field pitches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Stenny's uh, Astro at the time, I don't know whether it's changed now, but that was one of the worst artificial pitches going. Um, and I think once Rangers actually came down and played us there, so it was good to play against Rangers. So yeah. I managed to say I played against Celtic, played against Rangers. Um, it was when they when they came down. It was it was crazy, really, because their staff were all saying they weren't going to go back into training until the Wednesday because that pitch had so much effect on their bodies that they should just rest from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So obviously that they had, they had the science behind them saying how bad the pitch was. We knew how bad the pitch was anyway. Oh. Um, but no, it was that was again. That, I think the way that I've I've gone from both ways. I think. Like when we were saying earlier in, in the reality TV show and you're, you're playing with all these big players, I surprised myself that I could step up to that. And at the same time, when I do drop down, I also I still can keep my standard and make sure I give absolutely maximum there. But that was a good experience. I, I still speak to a lot of the boys from Senas Muir and I, I had a good little spell there as well. Um, and that's where I sort of changed my position a little bit. I started playing through the middle. Um, I scored two goals in my first three games and I was coming back to training. I was then in training, non-stop scoring. I was scoring so many goals in training and, and impressing. And I'm thinking, right, I'm back here. There is no way that John Hughes isn't going to play me. Um, all the other coaching staff are constantly bigging me up, saying, oh, you scored again. And then you're in training, keep scoring and you, you're setting things alight. You're playing for the under, I was playing for the under-23, still scoring for them. And it just suddenly, like, I felt like, everything had switched back and I thought, you know what, he's, he's got to play me. And it's just the way football is, if someone doesn't take a liking to you, it doesn't matter what you do. And that, that was proof of it because I did everything I could do. I was doing as well as I could. Um, if someone doesn't take a liking to you or isn't willing to play you for, for one reason or another, then, then that's sort of, you know, you've got to look elsewhere. Seems to be sort of quick winners he doesn't like because I'm a Livingston fan. And, yeah. Uh, there's a, there was a boy called Bobby Barr who was at Livingston, very good for us. And then John Hughes came in and he just took him out of the team, yeah. didn't like him at all. Well, there you go. Yeah, so it's not only it's happened to me, it's happened to a few, yeah. But mm. uh, it was strange. And like I said, I think not glad that it happened at all, but I'm glad that my mentality managed to, to get myself through it. Um, because really, it was, it was one of the only times in football I was lost with questioning why I wasn't playing. Um, and and yeah, and things like that. And it's just the the relationship. He was he was a nice guy. There's no denying it. He was a nice guy, and he could do well at the club. But we just didn't have a relationship. Like I'm saying, how how can he be forgetting my names, uh-huh. my name while we're training, and just things like that. And it's just it was a bit sort of uh, 
condescending, really, the way that the way that he was with me in comparison to the way that he was with others. Um, but it didn't ruin my time up there, and I think that's what makes it even more special: the fact that I'm still here saying how much I loved Scottish football, how much I loved Inverness, and I actually spent the last four months barely playing any of it at all. So you mentioned obviously going to Stenhouse Muir, as we said there. That's that's kind of part-time level League One, as well mm. as well as non-league and stuff. Do you get sort of boys going, oh, here's this lad for the telly. We're gonna like trick yeah, him. Yeah, you do. Yeah, we're, we're gonna kick him and stuff. Is it, do you get that a lot? Yeah, you do. I mean, yeah, it happens. I think we're in non-league in England because I've played it long enough now. Everyone has that respect for you, and they know that you've played it at the level and you've you've done enough at the level anyway that they. They do respect you. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a little bit like that. But I think just the funniest bit was, I honestly can't get my head around that changing room when I first stepped in there and the speed everyone was talking to each other and I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> um, so that was like, honestly, that was like just as bad as when I was in Italy and then the changing room there. Um, but they were such a good bunch of boys and, and a lot of them were ex-pros. Generally, I found that that season. And I think it was probably the way that sort of Scottish League One was at the time. I felt like everyone we were playing was actually just a bit past it. They obviously had a lot of quality, but it was a bit past it. And I don't know whether things have changed since, whether younger players are breaking through. But there's not many, from what I know, obviously played against Andrew Robertson. He was one that came through the system. But when I was there at that time, there just wasn't many that looked like, you know what, he's got a bit about him. He's going to get a chance here and then he's going to make his way in the SPL. Um, it seemed like it was almost like an, an ex-pro league. He obviously ended, ended up leaving Inverness with uh, John, well, John Hughes not really taking a liking to you and things. Yeah. Is that, is that why you think it didn't work out? Was there, was there never really any talk of staying? You mentioned Hibs and things. Yeah, I mean, I think at the time, um, uh, my agent who had sorted the, the, the Scottish stuff out, uh, the Scottish move with, with Steve Marcella, they sort of worked together um, he he was so surprised himself that it wasn't just going to continue. That I wasn't staying at Inverness for another year because I had a sort of one plus one uh, year option. Mm. Um, and he, he was surprised himself because it just didn't really make sense. But I think, like we said, when someone's got an idea in their head, some people are out of it, some people are in it. So I think once it came down to that, it was just the sort of icing on the cake where it makes you go, right, let's get back down to England, knuckle down and let's go back to where I was. So, just how, how would you reflect on your time in Scotland then as a whole? You mentioned seemed to absolutely love it there. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would have, I would have stayed there as long as we could. Really, that would, have, that would have been the plan. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you actually look at stats, you you forget how little little I played. I couldn't believe. It. I think I only played seven or eight games. Um, I think I only started one or two. Um, felt like I did well enough in those games that I come on. I remember I got an assist and I come on and won. Felt quite lively in the game where we we played live on TV, um, and it was it was going well. I wasn't obviously the main player, but I was in and amongst it very much. First or second sub. I remember being really annoyed if I hadn't come on. Um, so I was in a, I was in a good frame of mind for it all, uh, and it just sort of deteriorated a little bit when when the change of manager happened. So didn't like I said, it didn't affect my time. It didn't affect my joy, enjoyment. Still got loads of golf in. Still. Plenty of time with, with all the boys that are up there, and, and I'm still talking to them every day. It was only the other day I was Snapchatting Billy Mackay with uh, he was playing golf with Danny Devine and Aaron Doran. So you know, it's still we're still in contact. It's just obviously it's a little bit too far away for me to yeah. come and take a trip to. So 
So uh, you ended up obviously having a, a pretty successful career down south, you know, conference level, non-league, national league, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Do you feel maybe a wee bit of regret or maybe that you, after coming from Inverness, you maybe could have kicked on or were you just happy, you know, that level? I mean, I was I was happy. I didn't I never really sort of looked back at it and gone, could have done this, should have done that. Um, I was happy with it all. And I know I've, I've got myself quite a good name in, in the National League and National League South, mm-hmm. where I think I've played 300 games in it now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, I've sort of steadied myself to that standard. There's no denying that. Um, do sometimes feel like you, you finish a game, you're like, what was that? And you sort of question question what you're doing there. But then at the same time, you, you get in the game, you're like, wow, that was that tempo was unbelievable. And you think, how is this conference out? This feels like League One, League Two. Yeah. Um, and you look at all the players that do make it into League One, League Two. Um, none, of, none of them sort of have, have failed when they've got in there because the standard difference really isn't too much. And hence the reason every season in the FA Cup, you see so many non-league clubs flying through flying through the rounds because the, the yeah there is just isn't that much of a gap. So it may look like you're playing Tier Five, Tier Six football. But like we said with Adam Rooney, really, he, he could have gone down and played championship football probably. But he, instead, he stepped into tier five. And, and that's just, that's just I think, the way the English football system is. So, beginning to wrap up a wee bit now, um, you touched on it at the start, obviously, but you're, you're still playing in things. What, what are your sort of plans for next season? You've also got, you know, the, the YouTube and things you're talking about, really, mm-hmm. and your coaching. What, what, what sort of are your plans for the, for the immediate future and obviously? And well, properly in the future. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's definitely management. It's definitely coaching. Uh, that's the way things are going. I mean, over the last, I mean, even when I was in Inverness, uh, I actually did a little bit of coaching up there, and obviously that was that was free. I wasn't wasn't getting paid for stuff like that. But I knew it was something I was, without being modest, it was something I was quite good at, and it's something that I actually enjoyed to do. And I could tell that the kids got the got the most out of it while I was there. And normally. If you go to those things and it's like, we're going to bring down a player, so we're going to bring down Ben Green out to a session. Normally, they'll stand there, they'll give a few high fives, maybe do a little skill. But I've thought, sort of thought, well, you know what, this is this is what I can do. This is what I'm good at. I'm going to go in there and coach a session. So when we did a couple of those Inverness days, I think I ended up spending five or six hours taking different sessions for when all the, the younger kids were coming in because I knew that's sort of where I was going to get to. Um, I knew that was where I was was pushing towards and ever since every season that's gone on and I know I'm coming towards the end of your, end of your career every season that happens it's, it's only going to be inevitable that you'd have to stop at one point I've, I've been pushing a lot more coaching and um, so last year I, I was well two years ago I started academy coaching and I was doing it for Dartford Academy and then last year I took over Dartford Academy as, as manager I've got other under 18 teams I've got other under, under 13 football teams um, got my own sort of I'm trying to build my own football club a little bit in the area where we've got five or six teams at the moment um, mm-hmm. so it's all it's, it's all quite exciting um, exciting stuff we do a lot of the one-to-one stuff at the moment especially where it's all we can do um, and I know that's sort of where I was sort of destined to, to push towards so every season something's a little bit more serious like I said like last year I t- took over the manager role at Dartford Academy so I'm now in charge of the under-19 players and, and they're a really good bunch and they're, they're only one step below sort of your likes of Charlton and things like that. So, so they're doing really well. We actually, we were top of the National, National Youth South League um, this year and obviously it fell apart with six weeks to go because uh-huh. we couldn't finish it off. So 
we put a lot of hard work into it, but it was good to to good to get a lot out of it as well. Uh, that's what I found. We really have to put in the professionalism, and I've noticed it from from all the managers that I've played under. You, you just try and take a little snippet of what they're good at and what works, and and you try and try and build on that. It's one thing with all my my career, I've been quite lucky to have. I've I've experienced a lot of good footballing managers, and I think the three that we've we've really mentioned today. You look at the respect people have for Mourinho, um, the changing room that Terry Butcher would have, and then the energy that Danny Cowley would have in a, in a day-to-day basis. If you can try and put those three together, that's all I would try and do anyway. Um, hopefully, something can come good of it. Um, so, obviously, I'm doing, like we said, I'm doing the YouTube stuff now. I'm doing a lot of one-to-one sessions that I can show, I'm showing on YouTube and people can have a look, people can have a watch. Uh, it's, it's it's a different market to get into. It's something, like I said, it's it's all coaching-based. So it's something I'm enjoying at the moment. I've got a bit more time to do. Brilliant. So um, always, I, I like to finish with sort of the, the the podcast called The Full-Time Whistle. So sort of, how, how do you look back on everything? You know, you, you won football's next star in particular. Um, your, your career after that, are you sort of, are you proud of your achievements? Do you have any regrets? Yeah, the way I see it is it's all all an experience and really in the long run it's all an experience into becoming a manager of football and to becoming a football coach so everything that's happened ups and downs that's where you've got to take it on and you've got to deliver that to others and try and offer your experience to other players to, to either inspire them or give them educate them in the right way so that's that's the way that I look at things um, still obviously playing still hope to play till, till I'm nearly 40 that's got to be the ambition so I've got 11 more years 12 more years mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, a managerial role has got to be the focus as well as, as things continue. Just finally as well, obviously, when you finish playing and things, and obviously you could go into coaching and stuff as well, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, it would be difficult not to be remembered as the kid off the football's next sign at Milan show. So <laughs> I think that's probably what will happen. And I don't mind that because even when it comes out now, it's, it's a good tag to have. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's a good good club to have back in you. It's good to say you've played for that club. Uh, the stories that I've got from it, like a Champions League medal and things like that, the stories that I can still sell from it um, are crazy. So really, like that in itself, I, it doesn't bother me one. But when people say it's gone from Inter Milan, even at the time it was Inter Milan to Inverness, things like that, you you know at the time you're you're a million miles away from, like we said, the first thing, you're a million miles away from that. But just to experience it, to even have that name tag on, on any sort of headline... Um, yeah, I think it's got to be what what I'll be renowned for and what I'll be known for is is the Inter Milan stuff. So and that and that's I'm absolutely happy with that. Well, Ben, uh, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, I've really enjoyed no some some cracking stories and things. And goes without saying, obviously, I, I wish you all the best and stuff with all the coaching. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Rajkat. Any time, any time, and obviously, hopefully, we can get Scottish football on the up as well, and everyone in England can start watching it a little bit more. Definitely. Or we, or we can get them in the, in the Premiership. And we can have a mix. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Right, yeah, good speaking to you, Callum. Top man, right? All the best. Right, cheers, Callum. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. Some tremendous stories from Ben there on his time in Italy with Inter. An incredible and fascinating experience with some huge names there, and one of my favourite interviews so far, probably. Also some great stuff on his spells with Inverness and Stenhouse Muir, as he seemed to fall in love with Scottish football. A big thank you to him for giving up his time to come on. 
why not give his YouTube channel a follow at Ben Greenhall where he posts some great coaching, training drills and skill tutorials. So make sure you check out all of the other episodes too which can be found on Apple, Spotify and Anchor and all good podcast streaming sites too. Be sure to subscribe or follow so you don't miss an upload and give the Twitter a follow too at the FT Whistle Pod to keep up with any news and guest announcements. If you enjoyed, please share the podcast as well and give it a review. Thanks very much again for listening and take care. See you for the next episode.